welcome back to the Dime Gaming Bros podcast. I am one of your hosts, Spencer. I am joined by Jacob. Hello. Uh, together, we go on this uh, adventure for of about two and a half hours. Some days, yes. To, to get video games maybe cheap and to talk about them. Sometimes in depth and sometimes we run out of things to say. Yes. Sometimes we are happy, sometimes we are sad. Usually we are very frustrated with a lot of things. This week I'm just dead. No sleep. No sleep? No sleep. Much dead. So this is the first episode of Season 2 of Dime Gaming Bros. We've been doing this for a full year now, which is kind of crazy. Yep. Uh, hopefully it's gotten better. Probably not. You never know. I think we've gotten better. Probably. Um, Should we discuss like some of our favorites? From the year? I guess. A quick, quick rundown. Or should we just do that for happy hour? Yeah. I think we should do it for happy hour. Yeah, I guess that works. All right. So, as we go into this next season of content, uh, not much is changing, honestly. We're still going to do one episode a month, typically releasing in the, the first Monday, if at all possible. Sometimes my life goes a little crazy, slash we record way too close to release date because we're dumb, uh, and I can't edit that quickly. So... That's staying like that. The format's staying basically the same. We each review a game or something like that uh, for an in-depth review for like 20 minutes. Then we talk about the news of the past month or so in the tech and gaming world, which is, of course, not holistic at all. It's only covering the shit that we're interested in, really, which by that I mean it's me because I pick most of it. <laughs> Anything I think either one of us would be interested in discussing, um, we go over... Uh, a video game adaptation or like peripheral media so you say your halo the tv series or i saw that for sale the other day for like 60 bucks it's I was expensive like, why yeah i think the the blu-ray is like 40 bucks it's nuts i i don't know man it's not it wasn't even that long so that's why getting... it's if it was like 24 episodes i could see that but it was like eight it was the same time that i was grabbing dune on 4k for 10 bucks i was like <laughs> How? <laughs> yeah, and it's not even anywhere near as good as Dune. Dune no. was like one of the best movies of last year, so bleh. So yeah, your Halo, the TV series, or say your Cyberpunk Edge Runners, something like that. It might be a movie or a TV show adaptation of video game property or a additional thing that they made that kind of squeezes in there at some point, like Halo does all the time. Uh, and then the other person goes over their review and stuff. That's basically all staying the same. It's been working out pretty well since day one-ish, We and had that's good. <clears throat> Some... we, we did make the decision not to uh, cover Cuphead Season 3. Two seasons burned us out. I wouldn't even say burned us out. It just feels like there isn't much else to talk about. I'm still watching it. I'm in the middle of Season 3 right now. And do you like it? Yeah, it's about the same. Wow. It's definitely, they ramped up the amount of, like inter-episode continuity as it goes along like season two had more okay. i'm so determined they definitely just made a shit ton of it and then said this is a show and then they're just breaking it up into chunks because yeah. they're released like a month apart oh, yeah. with no fanfare they just drop them um so yes we made the executive decision to skip that for now until eventually we get bored <laughs> um but yeah other than that this format's been working fairly well since day one uh sometimes we might tag team a singular game or some other things like that we have planned for this next year, which I will not spoil. Uh, although if you listen to one of our happy hours previously, we kind of went over it anyway, so it's not really a spoiler. Not for all you regular listeners. Um, also, other necessary business. My apologies, sir. 
this uh, content will now be getting released on, on YouTube under Dime Comic Bros Network. Uh, we had originally had two um, YouTube channels between our two podcasts, Dime Comic Bros and Dime Gaming Bros. Uh, we're getting, like, no traffic on Dime Gaming Bros whatsoever because it's, like, splitting off from our main audience. What audience we do have, anyways. Um, so we're pulling that all into one blanket statement, like, one one blanket channel, uh, which is what it's like on all audio sources, anyways. So nothing on that front is changing. Same thing with our Patreon. But just a fair warning, uh, that YouTube channel will be getting deleted. The only thing, really, that we're changing is the trivia for this season. That is true. We are going to switch it up. Uh, whilst it was fun to come up with some trivia to stump each other, uh, mostly it was you. mostly me. Uh, it was very awkward to edit, if I'm being honest. It was like really hard to edit around. Uh, and just wasn't really working that great, and we'd usually forget until the last minute. So it was kind of meh. So we are going to be cutting that out, but reworking it, uh, if possible, during the episodes we will have some trivia from the game that we reviewed, if there is any. If there isn't any, like mine this episode, there isn't really much I could pull from for trivia, um, other than just cool things I noticed. So that would be kind of worthless. But if there is trivia for the game that we are reviewing, then we can just toss it out there at the end for funsies. So it's a little bit less of a thing, and it's just a thing, if that makes any sort of sense. Yes. Anyways, preamble aside... Welcome to this season of Dime Gaming Bros. Shall we kick it off with our Christmassy December holiday episode? Not spooky. What are you looking at me for? I'm trying to figure out where you're going with this. I'm just introducing the idea of snow. Oh. I'm a storyteller. <laughs> uh, so this episode will be getting released in December. We're actually recording it in December, even though we were supposed to record it in November. We're dumb. Mostly me. Uh, so, we kind of have a theme going on. Starting off with my review. Uh, this one might be a little short. I'm working. I'm, I'm trying, man. But this is a very short game, so ye. I played Never Alone. Uh, it is a puzzle platform adventure game published by Upper... Developed by Upper One Games and published by E-Line Media. Based on the traditional Inupiaq tale, um, which I will, again, not try to pronounce. There are some of these I'm just not going to be able to do. Okay. Uh, which was first recorded by master storyteller Robert Nasrick Cleveland in his collection Stories of the Black River People. Uh, the story is swapping between an Inupiaq girl named Nuna and her Arctic fox companion. The player completes puzzles in a story that spans eight chapters. The game was the result of a partnership between the Cook Inlet Tribal Council and Eline Media. It is one of the growing number of video games produced by indigenous people. Uh, and there is a sequel coming. I know I just read off the Wikipedia page. But there is a sequel coming, which I didn't even know until I just pulled up this Wikipedia page. <laughs> Apparently, uh, earlier this year, Lord of Our Savior 2022, uh, a sequel was announced. So that's neat. Um, so, you see, snow. That's the primary reason I played this game. Because December is supposed to have snow, uh, here anyways. And we have none. So fucking kill me. This theme doesn't work at all this month. <laughs> but, um, so I've had this sitting on my Games From Gold download list for quite a while. I think they gave this out like six months ago or so. Um, I like puzzle platformer games. This is a known thing. I've reviewed like three or four of them on this show before. And I wanted something that was themed. And it was honestly one of the only games I could find or think of that had snow or like winter weather as a relevant bit 
other than the game that Jacob did. Uh, so I wanted to keep it on theme, and it was also just useful for my time constraints because it's a short game. So as I already said, the game takes place over eight chapters. They are not... Uh, they're, they're chapters in the sense of that's when, like, the achievements pop, um, but, like, they're not really segregated that strongly. Um, basically, the, the whole thing is framed under uh, a, a, a story. Like it like I said, the it's a, a, a narrated version of an oral traditional tale, um, which is, like, the framing device. So, of course, it's all in... Um, the Anupiaq language, which I do not know, obviously. Um, and then it's all uh, subtitled in English, or other languages, I would guess. Um, so it, it's framed like that, and then it dips into cutscenes, uh, which are rendered in-engine, and then gameplay, and then, like, it, it the, the separations between stuff is kind of vague. Um, it's about a four-hour-long experience, uh, if you play through thoroughly, like I always do, and I can't help myself. Um in like one sitting. So it, it makes for, they're basically just, when do we re like load the next chunk of the game? They're not really chapters, like a, a revisitable story or like level replay or anything like that. Um, so yeah, each one of those chapters in quotations starts off with uh, a, a visual like storybook. So say like you would see cave drawings done with like charcoal and pigments and stuff. It's like that, but on a on a, a paper book, which is animated. It goes over the story while there's a narrator talking, and then it transitions over to the character that you're following, Nuna. Um, she's like seven, probably. Um, it, you follow her while the narrator keeps talking. He just kind of randomly interjects with new information or new parts of the story. Um, you know, it'll have a two-minute cutscene, and then it slides over to gameplay, and then you play for 10, 20 minutes, and then it just kind of repeats that cycle infinitum until you're done. <sighs> so, this is a game, but mostly in the technical sense. This is not a uh, Telltale-style point-and-click adventure game where it's like half gameplay, half video footage with prompts. This is... About half cutscenes, and then half of it is very basic puzzle platforming. And by very basic, I mean like a 10 year old could probably play this. Gameplay wise, it's very straightforward. When you're actually doing gameplay, it's just your typical, you know, left to right 2D platform puzzle game. Um, you switch back and forth between the two characters, Nuna and her Arctic Fox, um, which have slightly different abilities. So, Nuna. Um, as the story progresses, one, she can jump, like, high because she's a kid, and then she gets bolas, like, the swinging, throwable, um, hunting device, I think would be the, the biggest usage for those. Um, so she can, like, knock off icicles and, like, break down walls and stuff with those. Um, and then if you play as the Arctic Fox, you can, one, see spirits, which is arguably the coolest thing about this game, if I'm being honest. Um, something I did not expect it uh, to be as heavy of a presence is, uh, like, spirits. So the the fox can make them visible to you and to Nuna, so then you can, like, jump on them. They're kind of wispy, smoke-like, um, vaguely creature-looking, you know, spirits. They look like a cave wall interpretation of what a, a, a fox or a fish looks like, something like that. They, uh, some of them are, are just stationary. Some of them are used as like platforms that move left to right, up and down, etc. Um, 
So the Arctic Fox has to be within a certain radius from them for them to be visible and usable. Um, and then the fox can also obviously slide into smaller spaces because it's like half the height of the child. Um, the fox can run up walls and do some hardcore parkour. Um, run up, like skitter up a wall, jump off of it, skitter up that wall, jump off of it, skitter up the wall. Just basic, basic puzzle mechanic. In that sense, I do think that they play very well together. Uh, this is a game you can play in co-op. I'm assuming it's like single screen uh, multiplayer, which is a type of multiplayer that I do like. Um, I, a split screen is useful for some types of games, but if you don't need it, it's it's nice to not have it. Um, so right when you start the game, when you meet the fox, you just have the option to just turn on a second controller and hop right in. I'm a, I think there's online co-op, no clue. Um, but I just played it on my own, and then you can just toggle between the two characters by pressing uh, a, a button. That's it. Um, they run at different speeds, which can make traversal kind of annoying. Um, it's an interesting dynamic in terms of gameplay. Um, the puzzles start off incredibly basic, kind of like cringefully bland. Uh, by the end of the game, they are a little bit more complex. They could take more than a try or two to get through just because, like, for thinking reasons. But the biggest issue is this game is janky as fuck. Um, I'm sorry. It's not broken by any means. It 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 runs the way that it runs it's not like that's an issue but the animations are sloppy might be a way to put it um like where the hitboxes are or where the animation rigs are is not consistent so say you are going from left to right and you want to quickly turn around from to start going right to left instead of just pulling the trigger the, the pulling the stick and you immediately start moving like there's a tiny little like turnaround animation um, and that happens all the time. Uh, so it makes, it, it's incredibly frustrating when the entire environment is ice, water, and snow. So you are falling off of stuff fucking constantly, falling into water, having to start over again because the, it's just not precise. Um, something that puzzle platformers really need to have going for them is precision and like smooth gameplay. And this doesn't have either. It's not bad it's just very basic and not polished that's one of the biggest differences that i remember from league of legends and the, 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 the dota is that one has your main character turn on a dime and one of them has like a second to actually yeah. turn around when moving uh in a different direction and it's just like a big deal in the gaming world, I guess. Yeah, it, it carries over momentum in a very bizarre fashion. It makes There's sense. There's a piece of trivia for you. <laughs> I'm it, about to now. <laughs> it vaguely makes sense why, when you're looking at it, it doesn't seem weird. It, it fits more with the thematic presentation of the game, but it does make the gameplay very frustrating. So say something, uh, a similar-ish type of uh, puzzle platform would be like Ori in the Blind Forest, like that series. Um, those games are also extremely thematic. There's a lot of cutscenes. The cutscenes are rendered in engine. You know, it's about the vibes. Those games are 99% vibes, but they're still really precise. They still are extremely responsive. There's low um, input time, and it there's no stuttering or um, animation lag. It's just there, especially when it comes to games like Super Meat Boy, which isn't so I, I hesitate to call a puzzle platformer because it's insane, but it is still a puzzle platformer. 
um, that game it requires insanely like tight precision and timing, despite being about a block of meat. So <laughs> a sticky block of meat. Sticky. It's true. Like obviously that's the the craziest example. It's one of the best games kind of of all time. It's notorious for a reason. Um, I'm not expecting that from a basically indie developed game. It just makes it really frustrating to play. It's a short game. It took me four hours to get every achievement. There's only like two things that are missable. There's only a handful of collectibles you don't receive as part of the story. There's like four, I think. Um, the thing that you could count as quote unquote collectibles, which I did like, um, is every time you walk by an owl, it will give you additional uh, trivia. I don't remember the specific term they use for them in the menus, but it's basically like local knowledge stuff. So as I said uh, in the intro, the intro, the game is a collaboration between like a, uh, a local tribes, like basically like their outreach programs and stuff and a gaming developer, which I think is a really, 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 really fucking cool idea. Um, so instead of it just being a game in a setting and potentially made by devs from that culture, it, it, it directly integrates information and it kind of makes it feel like an edutainment game in a way, which I liked. It didn't feel ham-fisted or like unfun like I walked in kind of expecting something like that I just I had a little bit of an idea what the game was like um so you know you walk by an owl it'll give you up you have two more pieces of whatever uh you can hit the select button basically on whatever your controller is and then it'll bring up the menu it'll be like 30 second little clips of uh, maybe a historian or uh um someone from that culture going over like and this is how a lot of record keeping was done on this type of parchment or or you know whatever it's stuff like that which i think was really cool um particularly because this is a culture i have a lot of interest in um i am a white guy but i do have a, a, a the the largest percentage of anything that most people would consider non-white that i do have is uh native american so i do find a lot of just indigenous cultures everywhere really really interesting um there's a there's a little bit of a gut feeling of interest just kind of there beyond like an academic um, interest. And I, I liked seeing that on this. It's a very different culture than anything I'm used to and stuff I haven't studied very much or I didn't study very much in school. Um, so it makes breaking up the really frustrating gameplay a little bit more bearable when there's like two minutes of little informational videos and pictures of tapestries and clothing and stuff like that, which I think is really neat. Um, I appreciate the framing of it as kind of a mix between a regular game and something vaguely edutainment-ish. The place where that falls apart is the fact that it's a not like a actual historical story. It's based off of a local legend, but then you play it like it's a fucking superhero game. There are literal spirits you can see walking around that you can jump on to play the, the puzzles. And there's a bad guy chasing you, trying to get the magical item that you have. It, I, I, I get why both approaches are interesting, and I would be, I would be glad to play either version of that. But the two of them don't fit together very well, um, and I, it just creates a bit of a dissonance. Um, general level wise, other otherwise in terms of presentation. Um, wind is a constant factor you have to be worried about in terms of gameplay. Sometimes it's actually usable, so say uh, you have to hold one button to like brace for the wind. You get down, you hold onto the ground, the gust of wind comes, and then you get back up and keep moving. Um, you actually can use that in certain puzzles to your advantage. If you need to make, say, a really big jump, you can wait until the wind is going the right direction. You can, 
you know, hold down and then run and then catch the wind and then you fly like a fucking kite for a minute. It's actually really fun. Uh, I like that element. It just doesn't go much beyond that, which is fine, I guess. Um, I do that a lot in real life. You almost could, man. If you just walked out, if you walked out in hurricanes, you would be gone. <laughs> I would get tossed around a little bit, but like you would just wee wee. <laughs> um, the wind blew my hat off my head the other day, and it upset me very much. That sucks. The rest of the presentational elements include other bits of of local legends. So you have like. Um, a bunch of little people, not in terms of what we would now call little people, like people, people, uh, but like these little creatures, they're basically Jawas from Star Wars. I have Star Wars brain, but that's kind of what they're like. And it's something you can see in a lot of other indigenous cultures. There are a lot of legends and myths about like small people, basically gremlins that come, they destroy stuff. They're little troublemaking. I think one of the noises they used in the game was legitimately a minion noise. They're cute. They don't do a whole lot beyond the first couple of chapters, but they just, you know, they steal some stuff. They they sneak around, make funny noises. It's it's cute. Um, that's basically it. I'm, I like it. I understand why it got a lot of acclaim uh, when it came out, particularly in a, uh, a subgenre, which is known for having a lot more uh, of an inclusive background for, like, puzzle strategy games. They just tend to lean towards a lot of weird stuff. Um, I just wish it was better. It's, it's all right. For a few hours of mostly fun and a good bit of frustration, I think it's worth playing if you can get it cheap enough. Um, I believe it launched for $20. I think that would be a bit much. Um, I got it for free. I think it's available on Steam pretty cheap these days. Um, I believe it's it or, 15 on Steam. That might be pushing it a little bit. If it's something you're interested in or you like puzzle platformers, you know. Um, it's just frustrating because the, the concepts are really cool. The, 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 the effort is clearly there. It's definitely a passion project for a lot of different people. And it, it is a clear work of collaboration, and that's really nice. But... The mishmashing of tones and gameplay kind of make it feel cheap. Not in terms of like, oh, clearly this didn't have a lot of money behind it. I've played games made by like four people that look like garbage, but they're still really good. Uh, it feels like there might have been too many people pulling the game in different directions, whether that might be due to legal reasons on like contracts between like how much historical stuff do we have to have versus how much gameplay. I'm sure there's lots of reasons why that could have happened. Um, it was fun. There is a DLC released uh, about a year after the game came out for, I believe, 4 or $5. It seems to be about another hour's worth of stuff. I am going to check it out at some point, just because there's more. And I'm kind of looking forward to a sequel. It. <sighs> this is a setting that's wildly underexposed, and I think it would be really cool if they either hyper-polished the gameplay or they switched up a few things behind the scenes to make it a slightly different type of puzzle puzzle platformer. Um, I think the thing that in terms of visuals, why it come, why it doesn't, uh, why it feels kind of sluggish and non-responsive is because it's 3D models for the most part, from what I can tell, instead of most puzzle platformers are 2D models or they're 2D, but they've been, uh, rounded and given so much depth, like, like Ori and the Blind Forest. That's like too big. It's not 2.5D really. 
it's just 2D stuff, but it looks, it's been beautified so much that you'd swear it's 3D. Um, or like Limbo is basically all 2D with just a little bit of, of play on the depth of field. They're all flat. This game uses 3D models for all of its characters and some of its environments, and I think that's really taxing on whatever um, computing power the game has built into it. It just, there's so much to process, even though it's extremely low polygon and like low res. It just kind of doesn't pan out. It was fun. I'll give it that. I won't remember it in like a year. I'll, I'll say that. It's not terribly memorable. Maybe the sequel can be a bit more memorable because this is the type of game that I think I would like to like like that. It seems like something that could be all the way up my alley if it was a little better. Exclusive from HollywoodReporter.com. Gears of War, one of the biggest video game franchises on the Xbox platform, is heading to Netflix. The announcement comes after long months of negotiations in a competitive environment, with the streamer nabbing the media rights and partnering with The Coalition, the Canadian game developer behind the franchise. Netflix has grand ambitions for the title, and a plan that includes first adapting the video game saga into a live-action feature followed by an adult animated series. If everything turns up roses, more stories would follow. How exciting. I think this is a series that could definitely work in that form. I think an adult cartoon... I think that's stupid. I think just make a bunch of R-rated movies. Fuck it. Um... It's going to be cheaper for them to do the cartoon. Well, of course. It's always cheaper to do cartoons, And that's why though. they're going that way. And I don't mind that as much. I mean, you've got the the Mortal Kombat movies. And that's fair. Yeah. Whatever else. Um, I'm concerned about the live action one, actually, because I don't want it to become uh, the, the schlock... Um, circle jerk military TV. That's, that's true. Um... Dave Bautista has shown a lot of interest in uh, the role of Marcus Phoenix. He's also one of the guys who's been fancast a bajillion times, yep. as well as as Kratos. Um, I think that could definitely work here, not just because older he looks the same, but like out of the out of Bautista, uh, Cena, and Johnson, the three major wrestlers turned actors, Bautista is like miles away the best of them. He's still a fucking unit, and he's like fifty five. He's a beast, and he's not afraid to do the weirdest of roles and, like, play completely out-of-left-field-type characters. Yep. Um, yeah, like, he got up in, like, a big old cosplay and was like, guys, see, Netflix, here, here I am, give it to me now. <laughs> and it's like, I, on the one hand, I don't want it to be, like, super Gears of War circle jerky. Um, that's the one thing that I get a little nervous about sometimes with, um, not The Last of Us, in and of itself, but early on before that, before we saw anything, when it was like, oh, and Neil Druckmann's like super involved. And it's like the dangers of having people who are fans involved means it can be really accurate or a really good interpretation, or it'll be the worst thing you fucking seen. Right. Like, <coughs> <coughs> Scream 5, um, the new trilogy and kind of the new Halloween where it's, they're made by fans who clearly have an interest, but like, they're not the best people for the job and you can kind of fucking tell. I just have a bone to pick with those two trilogies. I thought you were going for Halo. No, because everyone behind the scenes of Halo said, fuck it, we don't care. And that went, led to the same type of issue. But, like, right. I don't know. It's just a thing. When you get, like, really passionate people involved, it usually means it's good. 
but sometimes it can just be like, wow, look, he looks like the guy. That's one of the reasons I didn't want Nathan Fillion involved in Uncharted since he was the guy who was like cast for like 15 years while it never got off the ground. He's in a really good fan film for it, which was fine for me. I was like, okay, cool. Now he's done. If they had kept him in this new movie and they had still made another like old, like a, just a normal Nathan Drake thing, I would have been less on board. I didn't really like Tom Holland in the role very much. We've been over this on this podcast. But that would have been like, why'd you even bother? Like, he's getting older. Like, I don't know. There's just something about it where, like, that would have been cool 10 years ago. And it, I have a, I, I'm a little nervous. I've played the first couple levels of the first game, so I don't know terribly much about the series. Oh, I've played more Gears of War than you have. I've oh, played yeah. all of them. Um, um, yeah, it's good. I, I just can't get my hands on it and not have an Xbox, so... Yeah, that would that would do it. Um, do they, it. Are, they are cheap as shit whenever you have an Xbox. Right. You can pick any of them up for, like, a penny. Right. Um, uh, but, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. I, I really do... I kind of hope they go in the way of the last couple of games where it's like Michael Bay Call of Duty moments as opposed to like the first one where I've seen where it's just a bunch of grunts running through a town shooting stuff. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, four and five have definitely been the least well received of the games. Right. But there is a type of energy that those do have, which I do appreciate. Like Gears of War in general is... Big, dumb, stupid fun, like, 100%. It's just, what if we put a chainsaw on a gun? Yeah. Like, and I, I like that. It's yeah. not always the thing I'm in the mood for, but it makes a nice contrast against Halo. But, to be fair, Gears of War does have a lot of really cool mythology behind it. There is a lot to read into, but it's all in, like, the indexes and stuff. It's not in the story bits of the game, because the story bits about the game are about the big meatheads going, you know? So, like, also, golden cock. They could expand this in an interesting way that I think could definitely work. Unkillable golden cock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Moving on. Um, it could be interesting for sure. Um, I actually like Judgment Day, the prequel game, more than the original trilogy. That's my hottest take about Gears of War. I'm going to run now. Nice. Check out the five-minute gameplay reveal trailer for Blight Survival, a third-person cinematic action-adventure survival game that its developers describe as an action-horror roguelite with four-player co-op as well. A new blight is raised from the dead, and you'll use your choice of medieval weapons and warfare to stop it. A new blight is raising the dead. Ra blah, 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 blah. So as Jacob basically said, off-air, because I'm going to cut it, because... Uh, it's like Left for Dead, but Dark Souls, but Witcher. And I'm, I basically agree with that assessment. Left I'm, for Dead for Witcher. I'm excited for this, actually. Um, I just randomly caught a glimpse of it, and it turns out Colin's looking forward to this as well. So I think we should get a fourth and just go ham on this when it comes out in, like, forever. Because it's so way we out get in the future. a $100 patron. <laughs> <laughs> they pay us to be our friend. That's true. That's basically what they do but anyways. only on the digital game front. It looks cool. I, there's no release date yet, I'm guessing. It looks pretty polished for that clip. Yeah, there was but... a, a blurb at the front saying, this is pre-alpha gameplay, don't throw stones yet. It, <laughs> it looks, looks better. It looks better than most things being released right now. So yeah. I would say just based on that attitude, it's probably going to be like a 2024 release or like late 2023. Yeah, it feels like a Unity build too. I'm interested to know yeah, which, which Unity. I'm down. I like Zambies, and I don't usually like looter co-op games, but if they're good, they're good. 
like I also said off air, it it feels it looks very reminiscent of Mortal Shell, just because of the game engine and like how the character moves, how the camera is. I don't know. There's just something about it. Like the the looting kind of looked like the the prompt from Mortal Shell. So uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm just special. No, that's fair. There was a new Last of Us trailer dropped. There was the yes, there was a new Last of Us TV show trailer that dropped, and it looks very pretty, and I like the song remix. It's got the Mandalorian in it killing zombies. Uh, it's continuing to look good. I'm getting a little nervous that I'm gonna be very disappointed, just because there's nothing really about this that looks rough. It gave me the same vibes that the game gives me. It's like. This could be a really cool action stealth zombie killer game or a really heavy-handed drama. This is true. This and is true. that's what they're setting out to do. So, wow, I'm not the target audience again. That's fair. They're, it looks like they're also expanding on some of the characters from the games a bit, like people that we only really see dead. Or it looks like they're like actually cast and they're like real people, so that's cool. Wow. Just additional information I observed by Google. And also... The trailer ends with a big mushroom head monster. Hey, hey, penis. <laughs> I really love the... One of the best things the British have done is uh, create the insult bellend. I love using that one. Fucking bellend. It sounds nice until you know what it is. <laughs> it's true. It's true. This is a big one. My apologies. From PCGamer.com. I sleep now. More than two years after his public falling out with Bethesda Softworks, Doom Eternal composer Mick Gordon has issued a lengthy and detailed statement on his side of the dispute. Gordon claims he was the target of unfair and dishonest behavior on id Software's part, perpetrated primarily by Doom Eternal executive producer Marty Stratton, but defends his commitment to the game, saying, I never quit Doom, I quit a toxic client. Cracks on the surface first appeared following the release of the official Doom Eternal OST in April 2020. The audio quality was dodgy, and Gordon quickly revealed that he had not mixed most of the tracks. The audio quality was dog shit? Is that what you said? Dodgy. Oh. But it was it was dog shit. <laughs> it's hard to find copies of it now because it got scrubbed off the internet. It was so bad. Mm-hmm. He also expressed doubt at the time that he'd work with Bethesda again. It was a very surprising statement in light of his long and seemingly successful relationship with the studio across games, including the 2016 Doom reboot. It's not actually a reboot. The Wolfenstein reboot. That, that is Reboot, and Prey. In May, Stratton opened, posted an open letter on Reddit in which he praised Gordon as a composer but portrayed him as unreliable and difficult to work with. He said Gordon could not meet the OST get deadline he'd agreed to and that a two-month extension granted at his request wasn't sufficient either, forcing id Software to give responsibility for it to lead audio designer Chad Mostholder. Stratton said in his Reddit statement, Bleh. Stratton said his Reddit statement was prompted by direct and personal attacks made by Gordon against Moss Holder, and while he wished Gordon well, added that Bethesda and id Software would not be working with him on any Doom Eternal DLC. Gordon declined to comment at the time, but today's statement paints a very different picture than the one presented by Stratton. In it, Gordon disputes much of Stratton's 2020 message, saying that Stratton lied about the circumstances surrounding the Doom Eternal soundtrack and used disinformation and innuendo to unfairly blame him for its failure. Marty's Reddit post severely impacted both my professional and personal reputation, Gordon wrote. In releasing this statement, I'm exercising my right to defend myself. It is a defense, not an unprovoked attack, issued with extreme reluctance only after all other attempts to resolve the matter have failed. 
Gordon also called on his fans and followers to not respond with abusive behavior towards anyone involved. This statement is not an excuse for a hate campaign. Acts of hate distinguished, dished out online won't result in any positive change. In fact, it only makes things worse. After explaining the nature of his employment, Gordon is not an employee of id Software or Bethesda, but an independent contractor. And his work, Gordon stated that he encountered a number of difficulties while composing for Doom Eternal, including a tight deadline, lack of direction and supporting materials, slow communication, and multiple interruptions. Things like, hey, we need music for this level. Okay, what's the level look like? Well, we don't know. Yeah, literally. Okay, so... What? Yeah. The schedule was a masterpiece in Excel, but a disaster in reality, he wrote. But efforts to come up with something more workable went badly. He said that Stratton rejected his criticism of the schedule and characterized it as a sign of incompetence. This was very near the start of the project, and according to Gordon, things grew worse as development continued. Gordon alleges that he worked for month-long stretches, nearly a full year at one point, without being paid, and that he was not aware of the plan to release an official soundtrack until it was announced at E3 in 2019. Crunch, he says, was brutal for him and id Software both. Gordon speculated that one of the reasons there was no proper strategy for an OST release is that id Software was stretched thin by the overwhelming push to make the November 22 release date and had no capacity to deal with other problems looming. Doom Eternal was eventually released to acclaim, but Gordon said he still had no contract for the soundtrack, and he claims that when the OST was delayed in March 2020, he still hadn't been offered a contract to do the job. Stratton eventually revealed to Gordon that id Software had been working on an alternative OST for at least six months prior to the contract offer, which Gordon said finally arrived just two days ahead of Doom Eternal's release. Last-minute efforts to collaborate on the project failed, at which point Stratton decided that Moss Holder's work would be, would be released. I, couldn't ha I could have protested, but it wouldn't have done any good, Gordon wrote. Under the contract, Marty was guaranteed veto power and complete creative control. Ultimately, I'm just a contractor. It's their product, and they govern every aspect. I voiced my, my anxieties over Chad Moss Holder's edits and hoped they had improved since the week before. I said they should ensure the album adheres to mastering standards and provided specific details in that regard. Ultimately, Bethesda confirmed that Gordon had met his contractual obligations and paid him for what he was owed. But Gordon took serious issue with the state of the OST, which he said was full of real obvious technical faults, mistakes, and errors resulting from careless editing. But the worst thing, he said, was discovering that the OST included a massive amount of music for which he had not been paid, including rejected tracks, demos, sketches, and mock-ups. That led to a call between Gordon and Stratton, during which Gordon said he and Stratton agreed to release a joint statement on fixing the OST problems. Shortly thereafter, however, Stratton posted an open letter on Reddit which blamed the troubles on Gordon. I was horrified, Gordon wrote. Not just, his, not just at Marty turning his back on what was our agreed path forward, but also at his shameless disregard for truth in his attack. The Reddit post was littered with lies and disinformation which directly contradicted the actual events and contractual clauses. Lawyers became involved and settlement offers were allegedly exchanged. Gordon says he was offered a six-figure sum in exchange for taking responsibility for the problems of the soundtrack, which he declined, while his offer to produce a proper OST was hung up on Stratton's refusal to take down the Reddit post, which his lawyers allegedly said would reflect poorly on his reputation. Tired of having his reputation called into question by Stratton's open letter, he said, he said incidences of online abuse escalated at an alarming rate following the post. 
Gordon eventually had the post taken down himself by way of a sympathetic Doom subreddit moderator. Not all mods are gay. That apparently ended any hope of reaching an agreement as Stratton's lawyers allegedly then told Gordon that Stratton was greatly offended and furious over the post's removal and made it clear in the strongest terms that an amicable resolution would be impossible. Gordon said Stratton's reaction put him in a position where his only option was to make a public statement in order to repair his reputation. Marty couldn't accept that I never wanted to work with him again and made his best attempt to send my career into a nosedive as punishment, Gordon wrote. He resorted to lies and innuendo that fell apart under the most basic level of scrutiny, then tried to bury the issue under a stack of cash. Using NDAs, settlements, and gag orders to silence truths is an appalling tactic used by people in high positions of power fearful of accountability. I am choosing to speak out because the alternative was to accept that tactic as okay. So this is a topic question mark slash issue that's quite personable to this podcast uh, as we are both very very big fans of both games as well as Mick Gordon's work in general. Uh, I re distinctly remember following all of this as it started unfurling when the game was released and uh, frankly I fell for the reddit post from uh, Marty Stratton. Uh, that was the image I had moving in my head going forward. I obviously did not know all the details of the situation, and because Mick continued to stay silent afterwards, I just kind of ran with that statement, and whilst I wasn't, like, screaming at Marty by any means, screaming at Mick by any means about the soundtrack or anything, um, and would continue to praise his work, like I did a couple months ago for, uh, Prey you know, from 2017, another phenomenal piece of work from him, it definitely tainted my opinion, um, weird story that I, I can finally air out now. Um, <laughs> about three days before this article was published, this hour and a half long read, the incredible account from, from Mick. I read the whole thing top to bottom. I skimmed through it a second time. It's insane. And it, it, if he wasn't a personable thing and it was just journalism, it would be incredible work. Um, and because it's a personal thing, the amount of measure and... Um, tact. tact that he utilizes is impressive. If I was in his shoes, I would have probably killed someone by now. It's and insane. not censored the emails. No, he <laughs> like still he, did. he still took the dignity to censor, you know, personal information. He didn't dox anybody on accident or accident. He still maintained his professional dignity while calling out a lot of bullshit. Um, so a few days before this was posted. I had gone into some comments on Twitter with some other random person about the next piece of news, actually, just commentating on other um, musicians and composers and their work with video game developers and whatnot. And I basically, someone was comparing two situations, and I said, I don't really think that's accurate because it looks like, you know, Mick was not being cooperative, and it seems like both parties were at fault, but like Mick wasn't making deadlines and blah, blah, blah. I wasn't throwing any personal attacks out there. And then I got a literal DM from Mick Gordon himself, uh, basically calling me out, which was incredibly odd, um, I will say. It, it, uh, it was pretty clear that he was like searching up his own name on Twitter to talk to people about it, which I still think is incredibly weird, but I can kind of understand it because of how tarnished his reputation was by this whole endeavor. Um, I didn't respond to it because I just that would be kind of weird. I wasn't going to argue with the guy. Like, that would be that would be weird. It did feel kind of bizarre. And he basically told me, like, hey, you don't know everything. You should probably be quiet. And then a couple days later, this massive thing came out. And I went, oh, shit. That's why he was kind of butthurt that I was talking modern mm -hmm. amounts of smack. That would, that would make sense. So 
uh, if God forbid he ever hears this, I apologize for that whole thing. That was totally my fault. Um, that was just a very weird bit. But this entire thing is so fucking insane. The whole thing has been weird. It's so fucked. It's three years, two years after Doom Eternal came out, and we're finally getting mixed side of the story. And he's, he's and it's been, not even closure yet. It's yeah. just him going. This hey, is this is my account. My side. Yeah. And it's like we finally have a break in the silence. Like, you can't really be too mad at us for going with what information we had. No, there were definitely people that were going ballistic over it, for sure. I <clears throat> I saw some of the shit he got sent from people, but, I mean, I remember it's it's been a, a kind of a joke between us for a few years. I'm like, did you see the Doom Eternal soundtrack come out yet? Because, like, the Doom 2016 soundtrack is constantly on loop in both of our cars. We're both metalheads. It's phenomenal stuff. I mean, we were waiting for that to come out for so freaking long. But, like, I, I don't expect it to ever be released. That's not even really a concern on my mind. I'm more so just hoping that, like, this guy gets his freaking dignity back and, like, gets paid. <laughs> Get the gets bag, buddy. career back. Yeah, like, his career got trashed, even by people that were big fans of his work, just because of how this all panned out and because of his... The, the studio, or one guy in the studio, just using the studio's power to kind of trash him publicly is, like, that'll tank any of the other gigs he'd worked on. I believe he's, I don't, don't, I don't know if this is a fact, but I believe I saw him talk somewhere on the internet that he hasn't had, like, anywhere near as much work as he's used to since then. And also, he did not get paid for, like, basically half of his work that he did on Eternal. They only paid him for what was basically a loophole. Like, all the other crap that they used afterwards and all that, like, he, if he did whatever he does moving forward, I honestly hope that he sues the ever-living shit out of, out of id Software and Bethesda, because this is entirely fucked. Like, they owe him double the amount of money they paid him, they wrung him dry, they treated him like crap, and that doesn't just fall on um, Marty, that falls on, like, everyone above his head as well. It's not just one guy that's, like, a systemic failure of communication and professionalism. It's insane. So, Mick Gordon, my buddy, my friend, go get the bag, sue the shit out of him, and keep making banger music. Because this is fucked. <gasps> Moving on! From Kotaku. No, 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 no. Gabagoo. My turn. Gabagool! From Kotaku.com. Sarah Shackner, one of the most prolific and well-known composers working in video games, has issued a statement today saying that she will no longer be creating any music for Modern Warfare 2 or Warzone. Schachner, whose credits as a composer and musician include the Assassin's Creed series, uh, namely Unity, Black Flag, Origins, and Valhalla, Far Cry, Need for Speed, Bioware's Anthem, and Call of Duty games, namely Infinite Warfare and Modern Warfare 1 and 2. Uh, she posted the statement on Twitter saying that she can no longer continue to compose music for Activision's latest shooter. Uh, there's a quote. Over the past couple of months, the working dynamic with the audio director has become increasingly challenging, and I don't see any path forward, the statement says. As of now, I am unsure of the status and release plan for the soundtrack as it's been taken out of my hands. Those soundtrack plans have been the subject of fan curiosity ever since the game's release, since it's rare for a major blockbuster like this to come out and not have its official album accompany it. Uh, 
Schachner's statement suggests that her challenging dynamic with this audio director, which Variety reports is Stephen Miller, is at least partly down to this soundtrack release, as she adds a quote, What will be released on the soundtrack is not my artistic intent in regards to mixing and mastering. So it sounds like history repeats itself yet again. Wow. That's like the same vibes. So that's not great. I also do really like Sarah Schachner. Um, the first thing I heard her on was <laughs> Infinite Warfare, uh, a Call of Duty game I don't hate. Um, she's been one of the best composers on the Assassin's Creed series since the uh, since uh, the first three. Like, despite the fact that she's worked on a couple of the not good games, <laughs> Valhalla, um, she's really good. Like, she has a very wide range of, like, musical proficiencies and artistic interests. She's She covers so many different types of music, and in such depth. It's it's incredible stuff. Um, she also worked on Prey, apparently. Yeah. The movie. Yes. Uh, she also does a lot of... She's one of the... Like, a, a Brian Tyler, or a uh, Tyler Bates, I believe is his name. Uh, there's a lot of composers that do crossover between games and movies. I mean... Hans Zimmer did the original MW2 soundtrack, so, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. there's crossover there. Um, it's just a shame that this sort of shit keeps happening. Like, stop it. Especially because this is one of the positions that fans get really attached to, because it's like a public person. Like, this is the person doing the music that you like so much. Like, uh, Call of Duty has had so many weak games, but they're, a lot of their music recently has been kick-ass. And... Assassin's Creed, like, the music is such a part of those games' identities, even when they're not good games. Like, this is probably a person you should be treating a hell of a lot better than the a lot of these studios seem to be doing. So, like, they should be expecting a lot of public backlash from this. Fucking suck my nuts. From Kotaku.com, Pokemon Scarlet and Violet, the new monster-collecting RPGs from Game Freak, have been getting dragged since they launched on November 18th for objectively terrible technical performance that is only outshone by the immense number of glitches. These two games clearly aren't, weren't ready for prime time, and now some players are seeking refunds from Nintendo. I got a refund from the eShop last night of Violet after feeling the game was not in a state I feel acceptable for a AAA release. Redditor Hutdog underscore Daddy posted to r slash Pokemon on November 20th. Their rep actually told me that given the situation regarding the state of Pokemon S slash V, she would elevate my case to ensure the refund was approved. It was approved an hour later. Welcome to the refund team, came one reply. Honestly, it sucks to have to even do this, but we are actually potentially making some decent making some decent backlash. Maybe we'll get a decent patch and updates, in which case I'll buy the game used. Until then, I will never buy a new Pokemon game unless it's actual AAA tier. In these and a few fair other threads, various Redditors are sharing their own experiences attempting to get refunds from Nintendo. Many claim success, but some say that Nintendo customer support requires some finessing before acquiescing to a refund. Kotaku reached out to Nintendo for comment, but couldn't independently confirm details of the refunds being issued. The past, like, four generations of Pokemon games have been busted pieces of shit. They look Legit, this game looks worse than Pokemon Go. And it's running on a Switch. It looks horrendous. It's so bad. The visuals are bad. And the, 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 the fucking performance. It stutters. The frame rate's busted. Everything loads in on top of each other. There's pop-in everywhere. It's abysmal. Like, mobile game tier shit. 
and they're selling it for $60. It's so fucking bad. Ever since I got my Switch, I was like, I kind of want to get into Pokemon because at least the stuff when I was a kid is very well loved. I want to I want to try something and I've been keeping my eye on these games and they just keep getting worse and it's like maybe not. Yeah, there's... I, I played Pokemon Go for like a couple months. That that'll be it for me. I think there was a remastered or remade version of one of the games. I, I think it's on Switch from a few gens ago. It's not like it's really old. It's like Omega Ruby or whatever. Um it's it was released a few years ago, I believe, but it's an updated version of like a I think a Gen 5 game, which might be up your alley. Um, I heard decent things about that. But it seems like like Gen 7, 8, and 9 have been like really fucking bad. Just the laziest crap because people continuously slop it up and it's still like the biggest franchise of all time. From PCGamer.com, in an interview this week with podcaster and AI researcher Lex Fridman... Todd Howard answered a question that's been on the minds of every Fallout fan. When are you going to re-release Skyrim? (laughs) (laughs) Next week. And it's coming to your fridge. Will the story of Amazon's upcoming Fallout TV series be an original one, or is it an adaptation of one of the many Fallout games we've played over the years? It's not retelling a game story, Howard said. It's basically an area of the map. Let's tell a story here that fits in the world that we have built. It doesn't break any of the rules. It can reference things in the games. It isn't a retelling of the games. It exists in the same world, but it is its own unique thing. It's great to have that finally confirmed, but it's not an entire surprise. We recently learned that the Fallout TV series will involve Vault 33, which hasn't been used in any of the Fallout games yet. That makes a little more sense, knowing that the story is a wholly original one. That's a green flag for me. He didn't specify where. I bet they're going Fallout 76 area. They're going to be in West Virginia or whatever. Because that was the last one. Take me home! They they got to boost sales, baby. Oh, God. Especially especially since they've, like, sort of fixed it or whatever, but probably not. Yeah, true. From Engadget.com. Stop me if you've heard this before. Dead, Dead Island 2 will arrive later than expected. I was trying to stop you, but I had a mouthful of water. The zombie-smashing game re-emerged in August with a trailer, gameplay video, and a firm release date of February 3rd. As it turns out, that release date was actually malleable. Publisher Deep Silver and developer Dan Buster Studios have pushed Dead Island 2 back to April 28th. The irony of delaying Dead Island 2 is not lost on us, and we are as disappointed as you undoubtedly are. A note on the game's Twitter account reads, The delay is just 12 short weeks, and development is on the final straight now. We're going to take the time we need to make sure we can launch a game we're proud to launch. Dead Island 2 was announced all the way back in 2014. The project has twice moved to a different studio, with Dan Buster taking over in 2019, and it's finally come to fruition. I'm okay with it. Yeah, that's fine. That's like a level of polish. That doesn't yeah. mean the game's busted. That just means they're like, eh, we could we could rub it out a little bit. Like, that's a short delay. That's like a movie changing release date by a month. Like, whoa, big delay. Like, eh. Yeah, I, I don't 
No. That I'm very okay with this. That just means that, like, the first patch isn't going to be ginormous. <laughs> From Engadget.com, Remedy has yet to show its co-op control spinoff, but that isn't stopping the developer from unveiling a true follow-up. The company and its publisher, 505 Games, have announced joint development of Control 2 for PlayStation 5, Xbox, and PC. This isn't exactly a shock when the two teased a bigger budget title, now known to be the sequel, last year, but it's good news for anyone who misses exploring the oldest house. The creators haven't shared any details of the plot, game mechanics, or release date. Even the teaser image shares little besides what's likely a control point. Control 2 will still use Remedy's North Light engine, however, and that budget is a sizable $51.5 million. Work is still in the concept stage, Remedy says. Cool. Much excited. Good game. I, I want more. I, I like Control. Very good. Very good stuff. It's cool. They're doing a sequel. I could kind of couldn't care less about having a co-op version. Yeah, me too. So just give me a, another game. Um, I've kind of considered getting it on PlayStation because it would overheat my computer and I want to play it again. <laughs> That's fair. You can get the comp like the ultimate edition for like twenty or thirty dollars. Yeah. You can get the base one for like ten, so it would probably be worth it. From Engadget.com. Microsoft's Game Pass service is profitable and accounts for about 15% of the company's overall Xbox content and services revenue. Microsoft Gaming Chief Phil Spencer shares the tidbit of information in an on, in an on-stage interview at the Wall Street Journal's Tech Live conference via The Verge. Game Pass is an overall part of our content and service revenue. Game Pass as an overall part of our content and services revenue is probably 15%, he told the journal's Sarah Needleman. I don't think it's going to get bigger than that. I think the overall revenue grows to grows so 15% of a bigger number, but we don't have this future where I think 50 to 70% of our revenue comes from subscriptions. Spencer added that Microsoft has recently seen incredible growth on PC with uptakes slowing on consoles primarily due to saturation. At some point you've reached everybody on console that wants to subscribe, he said. Microsoft announced earlier this week that PC Game Pass subscriptions increased by 159% year over year during Q1 2023. The, I'm assuming that meant 2022. That would be a bit weird. Yeah. The company has also seen people stream more games over its Xbox cloud gaming platform. Spencer hinted that mobile would play a major role in the future of Game Pass. So I don't have Game Pass, but I do like the service, and it does seem to work pretty well. I used a trial run a couple of times, um, and I think it's, it's clearly doing gangbusters for Xbox. It's, like leagues ahead of what PlayStation is doing. But the thing about this that honestly gives me a good bit of confidence is this, Phil Spencer seems to always be a pretty reasonable guy for being the head of like one of the biggest tech studios of all time. He <clears throat> doesn't seem to be a guy looking for infinite growth. At least that's not how he presents himself. He's pretty good at, at, at demonstrating a good grasp on what the market is like. <clears throat> And, like, having his thumb on the pulse of society, like, not trying to just go, well, yeah, we want 90% of our revenue to be from subscriptions. Like, no, people don't like that. They should know that. It just, it, it gives me confidence that there's someone at the head of Xbox who isn't trying to just lead it down a path of everything being a subscription service or, like, cloud or whatever. He seems to be more reeling stuff in than anything else and being like, hey, that's a good number. We should probably, ke like, keep that. 
and work on exploring other avenues yeah. like mobile or whatever else yeah. to just reach more people. I swear, every time I, I hate, I hate like getting really attached to people at like large gaming studios, but I swear every time Phil Spencer opens his mouth, I'm like, wow, I like this guy. He's like not a jackass. He's not just screaming about stuff or like, I don't know, being fucking Gaben or whatever. Like he's not weird. He doesn't do weird shit. He seems to be a pretty chill dude. He seems to actually like video games, which kind of helps. And he seems to actually understand how the business works instead of just being like a Todd Howard, who seems to be a really out of touch, weird dude who people for some reason still like, I don't get why, but like, I don't know. It, it, it helps. It, it helps me feel somewhat confident in continuing to be an Xbox player. Was it Brilliant Diamond and uh, Shining Pearl that you were thinking of? That Diamond. Yeah, I think those are for like full remakes because Diamond yeah. and Pearl was two thousand six. I think it was Gen three or DS titles in two thousand and six. Gen Gen four. four. Yeah, those ones would be good. Okay. Uh, Gen five is where I think I went. Yeah, I think this is about where I should probably leave. That was I think black and white. Black and White 1, I believe, was around when it just kind of hit, like, full saturation point and then started going downhill. Weird. I don't know anything about the series besides what I've played in Pokemon Go. I think, the from so. what I... Yeah, because those are full reimaginings of what were 2D titles. So those might be worth looking into if you can get them for a decent price. Cool. Or well, one of them. We watched Mortal Kombat, the movie. Yes. That came out last year in 2021. I could get the double pack of of <laughs> Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl for 120 bucks. That's that's normal full price. That's Why? Ret that's retarded. <laughs> Sorry, Mortal Kombat. Uh, it is a movie. It is. It is. It is an adaptation, sort of. As we discussed, it is uh, possibly one of the best video game adaptations. Yeah. No. No joke, it's, uh... <laughs> it feels weird because there isn't much to say. It's just, like, actually a halfway competent movie. More than anything else, it's not, oh, it has such a deep understanding of Mortal Kombat lore. It's like, nah, it's just a decent movie. More than anything else, it... It looks really good. For the most part, yeah, there's some there's some stuff that's kind of yeah, rough. But it's simply animation or CG, yeah. but... The, the When they do opt for physical props and sets, it's really good. Particularly hats. the opening. That, well, uh, that and hats. The hats are nice. Hats. Practical um, hats. <laughs> Thor love and thunder moment. They, um, they took a big freaking wok and put it on his head. And then, then he throws it. <laughs> yeah, basically. That's what this movie is. It's just, it's just, it's a halfway decent movie. It's nothing incredible, but it focuses on being watchable and fun more than it does on being a, a a thing about video games or like it's not even trying to be meta it references a couple of memes you know it does it's it's uh it's self-referential stuff like they have a flawless remake. victory yeah like they reference the game stuff and it's goofy but i kind of love it there's the only stuff in this movie that doesn't take itself seriously is kano being like Wow, look at all these fucking monks and just doing a very big oopsie doop. Like, that's it. Like, the, everything else is like, all right, this is a world, I, you know? Like, well, let's, let's just run with it. And that's the thing, I think, for me that makes it more watchable than anything else is like, I'll watch the stupidest shit. 
as long as it takes itself seriously. I don't like the wink and a nod. Look at how crazy this is. Like, just... If you don't like your own concept, why are you doing it? If right. you think it's dumb and stupid, why are you doing it? Like, Why, why do you expect us to like it if you don't I, like right. it? Like, it's just... Yeah, like, this is clearly not the best film in the world. It's not really intending to be. It has, for the most part, pretty good choreography, a couple of really cool fights, some decent acting, nothing incredible, and, like... It looks pretty good, and it sounds good. That's, like, all it needs to be. It's What's your favorite kill? Oh, um... Okay, the hat as a table saw is fucking great, but that there's, was my... there's no fight around it, so the fight is lame, but the kill is cool. The kill is so cool. It's I, my favorite kill. I, I I have to say the the final fight between Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Like, it's, it's either that or the opening fight. Like, ever, when I watch this in theaters, and it's been the same thought I've had since then is the parts of the movie that are high effort are really high effort the two actors playing scorpion and sub-zero um i don't remember his name and i would butcher it if i tried to say it anyway but the actor playing scorpion he is like a legendary martial arts actor he's he's phenomenal he's fucking killing it with like a really lame script <laughs> like that stuff is great the 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 opening 10 minutes set in the past is if the whole movie was like that, I would be nutting all over the place. It's so good. It visually looks good. It takes itself seriously. The choreography is phenomenal in that section, more than any other section. I love the attention to detail. Like, it's just a family chilling out. Mom's gardening. Dad goes down to the well to get water. And mom leaves her little gardening tool in the garden where she was working to go do whatever. I'm going to tie it to a rope and put it in his head. Yeah, and... Scorpion just picks up a rope and the gardening tool and starts spinning it around like a blade, uh, a, a blender. It's so, so cool. It's so good. It just, yeah. I I said while we were watching it, like as soon as the credit, the the opening title card hits, like if you cut it there, that would be the best fan film ever put to like any to put to to film. It's great, and it just goes downhill from there. It's not like it ever hits the dumpster or anything. It's just. Definitely, that's more up my alley. And the finale gets closer to that because they're fighting in really cool samurai ninja garb, but also they're in a gym that's frozen over. It just seems that that's that's the silly bit because it's a fight. It's the final serious confrontation between these two bloodlines, and so oh, it's so serious. It's like we are in a frozen over octagon. <laughs> like I get it because. Our main character is an MMA fighter, and it's his gym, but, like, I don't know. And um, that's my other... I noticed that the first time I watched it in the theater, I was like, it's kind of like a variant map. Yeah. Like, from the games, because we've already had a fight in, in this octagon, and now they come back, but it's the frozen octagon. Oh, my gosh! <laughs> it's in night mode. Yeah, um... The only, my other, I think, major gripe with this is <sighs> the pro tag is boring. Um, not just because we need a boring pro tag, but, like, he's an original character, and I don't think you needed to do that at all. Um, the actor is fine. He's doing fine. He's cool. He's, he fights well, but, like, the character is abundantly bland. Just, he's a, he's, he's the descendant of Scorpion. Rawr! It's like... If I was if I was gonna do a, a rewrite of this script and t tweak it the way I wanted it, because I'm one of those assholes, like, why doesn't he become Scorpion? The fuck? If you're gonna do weird bloodline shit, why doesn't Scorpion 
in like take over his body and be like Ghost Rider, or he just <laughs> gets the skill set or some shit. Like the fact that they're two different characters because we're interested in Scorpion and Sub Zero because those are the faces of the franchise. They always have been and they always will be. And then we just have this new original character that's our main character we're supposed to care about, but it's like, but Scorpion's right there. Yeah. And you're tangentially related to him, but I don't care. I want to watch Scorpion. So, like, there's ways you could have tweaked it to make it not so dumb. He only growls get over here once, and it's a really good growl. It, it does sound really good, but it's also, it's the only line he speaks in English, which makes it stand out as really stupid. It's funny. But it's like, he doesn't speak English. <laughs> Why is he saying it in English other than for the meme? Because it's, it's funny. Still, I don't know. It's it's good. It's it's all right. This is the type of movie you'll watch with a couple of beers and some of buddies to go, ooh, that was nasty. And then you forget about it the next day. And that's fine. That's what Mortal Kombat is as a game series. Like, no one that I know of anyways thinks Mortal Kombat is the best thing ever done. It's like, they're really good fighting games. Sometimes they have interesting stories. That's about it. And you play them with your buddies. Like, so that's fine. There's nothing, you don't need to do anything more than that. You could take a more story-heavy approach, which I think is what the animated movies do. I've only seen the first one, but that seems to be the impression I'm getting is they do a lot more lore story stuff, which is up my alley. Or you can just make it wall-to-wall -wall fighting, which would be retarded, but you could do that too. And this movie just kind of hits a weird spot in the middle. But, like, it works. I like this one a lot. It's good. It's good. For a video game movie, that's, like, the best thing on the planet. It's a competent movie. Most of them aren't. So, like... So we just did the best movie we're ever going to review, probably, on this show. So far, yeah. At least for a long time. I mean, you know what? Maybe... Maybe, maybe Last the, of Us is good. Maybe the Mario movie will come out and just have its massive schlong and be like, look at me, I'm good, except Chris Pratt. Because that's what it looks like. I think that's what it's going to be. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm think i going to have to shush you on hating on Chris Pratt because the rest of the movie is going to be pretty freaking good. <sighs> it's going to be it's going to be weird. Yeah, no, I definitely think if if The Last of Us continues on the path it's on, it's our trifecta is going to be Mortal Kombat, <laughs> Cyberpunk, Edge Runners, Mario. And, Last of Us. And La that's the weirdest <laughs> mixture of stuff. But it works. And then maybe Tomb Raider. Maybe. 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 What, not Uncharted? You didn't love Uncharted to your undying breath. I was not allowed to drink during Uncharted. <laughs> well, wait, you weren't? Why were you, were you watching it in the morning? No, I was in the theater that had no booze. That's disappointing. Quite. That's so lame. I saw that with booze. I saw Sonic with booze. Both Sonics, actually. They really helped with those movies. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Anywho, what do you have for me, Mr. Gamer Man? What have you been doing? That's what I got for you. <laughs> what, what game have you been playing, oh, Gamer Boy? I played Batman Arkham Origins. Oh, Batman! <laughs> it is a prequel game to the Arkham series released in 2013 for PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and... Oh! Sorry, PC and the Wii U. <laughs> that Wii U version is trash. It was developed by Warner Brother Games Montreal, who took this to help fill in the gap between Arkham City and Knight, both made by Rockstar. It was kind of interesting reading the Wikipedia page 
so it might not all be true, but they literally said it's going to be like four years until Gotham Knight comes out. And we're already working on the Wii U version, so we might as well like try to put it on everything else just to bridge the gap. I don't know. It was weird. Very, very weird. The story. Before, before you do that, I have to get one thing off my chest and then I'll <laughs> shut the fuck up forever. <gasps> Way no. back... To like 2019. The, the formation, basically, of this show slash our other podcast, Dime Comic Bros, got a plug, um, kind of sp- partially springs out of a quote of which I threw at Jacob many moons ago. I believe it was 2019. It might have been 2018. We were having some random Batman-related argument about something. We got into the video games. And I have hot takes about all of these games. Yeah, you do. Um, I do. I like all of them, but I do have hot takes. That's why I claimed it first. <laughs> yeah, because I you knew, suck. I knew you were going to do this I one. even replayed this last year, so I was getting <laughs> ready. <laughs> Fuck you. Uh, and I think that despite its technical limitations and some quality issues here and there, I think that Arkham Origins is a better game than Arkham City. And you can quote me. And he did. Back when we had Facebook, he went and put it on my Facebook. It was so fucking funny. (laughs) And that was like the foundation of this weird dynamic we have going on now of us arguing about how tall Batman is or whatever. (laughs) Continue. The story uh, goes something like this. On Christmas Eve... <laughs> Keeping that Christmas theme. Oh yeah, Christmas! Batman helps stop a jailbreak from Blackgate, orchestrated by Black Mask. Black Mask has placed a $50 million bounty on Batman's head, so a whole bunch of classic Batman villains are trying to kill him. As he's sneaking around, a couple other villains challenge the Bat with their creativity, like uh, Riddler with all his hidden files and... Anarchy has three hidden bombs around Gotham City. You need to include (laughs) that line quote because it's repeated so many times in the game. Oh my gosh. I've hidden three bombs. A certain Captain James Gordon keeps chasing the Batman like a jealous boyfriend. (laughs) I like that this goes so far back into Batman's career. This game took heavy influences from Batman Year One. Uh, I was also impressed that there were some pretty heavy spoilers for this game that I still did not know about until I played it all the way through. Seriously? Dead serious. This is the decade-old game. Yeah. Holy crap. I'm good. Uh, there was one twist I was a little annoyed by. All I will say is that I wish Black Mask had been used better as a villain. So does everyone, buddy. All right. That is a, that is a normal take you have. Uh, but it makes sense when you look at the series as a whole. The visuals. Honestly, the visuals hold up pretty well. The main menu does not have the right to look so sharp. <laughs> Easily one of the best main menu graphics I've seen in a video game. Cinematics look fantastic. I kind of wish they didn't go so hard on lens flares because the cinematic cinematics look so good without them. Uh, it's a little jarring when it switches back to being in-game, but considering what games looked like in 2013, it still looks good. My favorite detail is that characters leave a trail of footprints in the snow. It's somewhat common in games now, but I always get excited when that happens. 
Floating around Gotham looks great, especially when you do the intended dive to get a speed boost. Uh, a couple of little complaints. The cape doesn't look super if you test it. Uh, running around flying, it's fine, but a couple in-engine scenes, it would like glitch the cape around kind of weird, and spinning around in a circle makes the cape look bad. <laughs> Dang, you broke the whole game. Cape no work. You have to test the cape by spinning in circles in-game. You have to. Mm-hmm. Sound design is great. Gliding through Gotham puts the wind in your ears. Fights have weight with every punch or kick. There's one move especially that brings a tear to my eye every time it happens. Batman swipes the legs out from under a bad guy so that the bad guy lands on his back, and then Batman grabs the guy's ankles and twists his legs at the knees. No, I hate that one. <laughs> it's oh. so gross. That's that's a reused animation from the other games, and they keep it because it's so disgusting. The crunching is so disgusting. Blech. This brings me to gameplay, where I say, ugh. I think you're gay. This is the tough part of my review. This is more Arkham gameplay at face value. One button to attack, one to block, one to stun, one to roll. It's easy. A strike counter that allows you to use special abilities uh, through button combos. But fight scripting is ass. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I'd be working on my, my fight, uh, my, my strike combo and a guy three yards away would wind up and it would tell me to block it. And I was like, oh, he's nine feet away. I'm good. He's not going to hit me. And he would teleport next to me and hit me and kill my combo. It happened every single fight. It was so annoying. Uh, gliding is intentionally slow, which is allowable because it's an old game. Um, it's not like... Uh, uh, Spider-Man on the PS4 where they said they had to intentionally cap you off on how fast you could go because the city needs to render. That makes sense. Uh, but it's not fun ziplining everywhere to try to go faster because <laughs> ziplining is faster than just gliding. Fast travel is basically locked until the end of the game. You unlock perks or uh, weapons, I guess, or toys, bat toys, uh, as the story progresses and each fast travel tower is locked behind those story toys. So you have to pretty much beat the story before you can unlock fast travel. So that with slow gliding, uh, it's been pretty big news for a long time. The developers have said that they intentionally placed at least one building in the way that Batman can't fly over. He literally has to go around it, and it's, like, right in the middle of life and everything. Yeah. It's so annoying. It... <sighs> I resent them for that. The grading system at the end of the fight, uh, at the end of every fight, felt inconsistent. I would use, you know, the the batarangs and the the zipline thing and um smoke bombs i would vary how i was fighting uh, and still only get a b and it'd be like 
I got hit once and it was an extreme danger level. Like, it just felt weird. Uh, enemy AI failed in some game breaking ways, especially bosses. I'm pretty sure I had one boss stand still and I just kicked the crap out of him until I got the, the cinematic. Uh, the final fight with Bane, um, you're in a, you're in a room with hallways. It's kind of like if you drew a blocky eight, um, and he's pacing around these hallways and you have to attack him, I don't know, four times, five times, I think. And so I was about halfway there. I'd gotten him three times and ran away and slid into a tunnel and turned on the detective vision. And he was running into the wall at the end of the tunnel and just stayed there running infinitely. I had to reload my save. Nice. Things like that where it's like, it broke the game pretty often. Usually in my favor, but not always. Uh, there were cool sequences where Batman uses detective vision to investigate crime scenes. And that's a super cool idea. I love bringing Batman back to being the world's best detective. That's almost always underused. I can smell the cheese on his dick from four years ago. He must be at the zoo. I Do thought it. you were going to make a French connection there. but <laughs> But after the necessary one investigation in the story, every other time that I saw uh, was just dumb, quick gimmicks. It's like a guy gets thrown off a, a building. So you look at where he landed and go, huh, he got thrown off the building. You go to the top of the building, it says he got thrown off from here, but he was carrying something. So then you go halfway down and you find his briefcase. And it's like, well, I know who did it. It's like... Ugh, dumb. Gimmicky. It was fun when it was done well, and you had a whole room to investigate. I like, yeah, there's a couple, uh, the, uh, Black Mask's be uh, penthouse. Yeah, that's the one I'm talking the about. And the Deadshot one was pretty cool. Uh, uh, I forgot about that That one. one took, that's a side quest that takes place over, like, a third of the map, I swear. Jeez. It's a big one. It's a pain in the ass to get to work, right? But when it works, it's really cool. Uh, after the third or fourth one, it's just annoying that it took so long to investigate the crime scene when it was pretty clear what happened. They were so small in scale that it was just a time suck. It's just another guy to chase down and beat the crap out of. Hey, it's the bat! So in closing, this game did not deserve the hate it got. I remember it getting trashed pretty hard, and, uh... It, it didn't deserve that. It's especially when allegedly the studios were like, hey, we got to throw the people a bone because the next game is going to take forever and a half. So let's just shit something out quick. Uh, almost 10 years later, I can look at this the same way I do Uncharted Lost Legacy or Spider-Man Miles Morales. It's that weird middle ground of not quite a full game, but not quite a DLC either. I really just hate the parts that limit fun in this game like the building placed in the way if the game is a little shorter but fun that's so much better than intentionally making me go out of my way so many times the story's fun it goes places i didn't expect i especially like the level with the mad hatter where batman is tripping balls 
it didn't feel like a Riddler level knockoff from Arkham Asylum and I think Arkham City too, where the oh no, it's not Riddler, Scarecrow, um, Scarecrow levels. It didn't feel like, hey, those were fun. We should do it with Mad Hatter. It was like Mad Hatter had his own level and it was fun. All of these games when they make you trip balls are so much fun. Yeah, and that would have it would have been way too easy to do to make it like Scarecrow. I'm glad I finished this game for this review, but I definitely had no interest in 100%ing it. After finishing the story and spending several hours cleaning up extra stuff, I was only about a third of the way to completion. Woo! And I want to stress this. I spent a lot of time finding Red Riddler's shit, uh, <laughs> stealing Penguin's weapons caches, stopping anarchy Anarchy's three hidden bombs. <clears throat> Unlocking fast travel towers and who knows what else all for extra XP so that I could unlock fun new Batman toys <clears throat> And I was only a third of the way to completion That brings me back to my last paragraph and reminds me of my complaints about Arkham Knight There's just so much padding that it brings everything down with it and makes the overall experience less fun What's your favorite boss and least favorite boss? Oh. With no details. Uh, Deathstrike, Deadshot, dead whatever his fucking name is. The Arrow villain is my least favorite by far. Get out that one. I really hate trash. that guy. It's all quick time event, but like the worst quick time event I've ever played. Favorite? Um, I think I know which one you're going to say because I think everyone else has the same favorite, but I want you to tell me. The one with the scary, sexy snake lady was okay. That works. Uh, why? What? What's another good one? Oh, that was in City. I'm retarded. Oh, okay. I was thinking Freeze because that that's in City. Yeah, I, I forgot. Um, I didn't I play like... the DLC. I forgot to, and I didn't see was... how to. I did that one. It's pretty. It's it's all right. Um, I like the Croc and Bane battles in this game. Croc They're was similar. Fun. Croc's a good opener. Yeah, it it's teaches you to dodge out of the way. It's familiar enough to the the Bane and Titan fights from the other games, but it's easier and it's not quite the same. Bane got pretty annoying because it was the yeah. same fight several times yeah, it's and true. just cheese. I also just like Bane's design in this game. I like most of the aesthetics. <laughs> This game is the way I like my aesthetics. I don't know why. I can't explain it, but like, I swear to God, half the designs in the other games I don't like. I got one more paragraph in my closing. When I first made my Steam account back in 2014, I think, Arkham Origins, Asylum, and City were my first purchases uh, during a Steam sale. Jeez. I think I got them for five to ten bucks each, uh, and I would easily suggest that price point today. Uh, this playthrough took about 15 to 20 hours um, before I uninstalled it because <laughs> I wasn't going to chase everything down. It would probably take that again just to 100% it. it that makes sense. That's my guess. I, I, I can agree with that. I think that's about what it took for me to do it. So. That wasn't too harsh, was it? No. Okay. Because I know you're oh, such a... You're such a defender of it. It's mostly just to defend its honor. It's not because I think it's actually the best game. <laughs> it's my second favorite, but a lot of that is just vibes, to be honest. It, it, it's, it's just a good game. It just, 
I don't know. It's it, a good I think Christmas it has time game. It's I, fun to fly around Gotham when it's snowing. I, despite the fact that City does have a more interesting story, kind of, and has more, it has better visuals most of the time. It has higher, um, higher fidelity. I high key think that City has just as much bullshittery as as Origins does, and I think oh, yeah. people gave Origins the same amount of shit for it because everyone screams about how good City is. City's map is a U. Yep. Like, it does this shit ad finitum to just pad the runtime. Like, I feel like Knight had more, like, Riddler trophy nonsense, but, like, it felt like City was the hardest to finish. It was the most frustrating and, like, time sloggery. At least Knight was retarded and fun most of the time, even though it was retarded. And it's like, take battle! Like, I don't know. It's retarded, but, like, I had fun with it. Right. City was just grinding out so many fucking trophies. And... Origins does the same thing, and but it's a little smaller, and everyone's like, no, this is the problem. It's like, actually, I think everyone who thinks City is their favorite has brainworms, and you're stupid because the story is disconnected and has way too many villains going on that don't make any sense together, and then the only thing that people remember is the fact that it killed Joker, which was cool and great, but, like, that's what people remember it for when that's not the biggest part of the story. And it does this. It has the same gameplay issues. It just has a little bit higher fidelity. That's it. All right, here's my biggest complaint against... Origins. There were only two Batman suits. That's and your I, complaint? I think one of them was a DLC, maybe, that unlocks at the end of the story? I think so. So I like that suit. I like that suit a lot. I mean, it's cool. Colin hates that suit. I, I love it. in Gotham Knight that they had a thousand suits. Because I could jump in and have a goofy suit today and then be... Batman Beyond Tomorrow and whatever. It's just, I don't know. I always flip-flop I, I on like what I, I always flip-flop on whether I like the simplicity of having a couple of designs or, like, having a bunch. I Especially like it's just, because it's a single-player game. Who gives a crap? Right, it's just for me and my footage. Like, right. that's why, I think that's <clears> why, I think it's just gaming sensibilities having shifted between City and Knight. Because City had a good amount of skins from what I can remember as well. But, I like, think you're right. Knight was insane. Yeah. And I think it's because Knight was... 2015? Huge. 2014 or 2015, and, like, that was the beginning of the paid cosmetic DLC craze, which we're still in. Like, I think that was what, like, I think it's more so it's been tainted by its legacy more than what it in and of itself was, because there's a lot of stuff in Night that is really cool. His suit is great, but, like, I don't know. There's a couple of suits in Asylum, but, like, I, I don't know. I, I like... When it comes to Origins, I think I like it having one suit because it's a single night setting, so it feels kind of weird to pop around in, like, different... It would be weird like that, but, like, Night isn't. Night's a lot bigger of a game. Hmm. But, like, Origins is like, you have 12 hours to not die, bitch! And, I don't know, the brains. I don't know. It's a weird brain one I, I have. Yeah, I was only kidding. My complaint my is actually that complaint. Alfred doesn't have a mustache. I hate that Alfred design. <laughs> it's so bad. I like the voice, but, like, he looks like shit. He looks like a fucking potato. He does. You're right. I don't like it. <sighs> Next month, we are teaming up. Oh, yeah. We're going to tag team co-op some games. Portal and Portal 2. Yeah, baby. So we have both, or will by then, both have played through Portal 1 on our own, and we will be co-opting the entirety of Portal 2. I already did Portal 1. <laughs> I, I did my I mean, homework I've, early. I mean, I've played Portal 1 about 50 times, but yeah, I'm going to be doing it again. Times. It's like five hours of gameplay. Come on, shush. I'll be doing it. But yeah, that's what next month is going to be. We will also be discussing Arcane, the uh, 
League of Legends animated series on Netflix. That's interesting because we have no idea about League of Legends. <laughs> I, that's why I'm looking forward to it, honestly, is because I have no familiarity with it, and apparently it's phenomenal. I actually started it. Oh. I watched the first episode or two when it first dropped, like, last it year. It looks really nice. It's got a really cool animation It was style. fun. I'm looking so, forward to it. It'll be fun. So, yeah, that's what we'll be covering next month. Uh... Before getting back into the... I wanted to take a break between the Mortal Kombat stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I'm cool with doing the three animated movies back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, but, like, between... Like, yeah, just break it up. Like, there's got to be something else in there. Yep. So make sure you tune in for that banger of an episode next month. You know, maybe, maybe what we should do is we should have a cute little photo, and one of us will wear orange, and the other one will wear blue. Just for the sake <laughs> of the meme. And we'll both have, like, white shoes and white hats, so we look like portal guns. I'm dumb. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Dime Gaming Bros podcast. Uh, if you have made it all the way through, a massive thank you to you. Uh, if you would like to help support this show as well as our other artistic endeavors, please go ahead and visit DimeComicBros.com. Uh, we owe a thank you to two of our patrons, uh, Jeff Lorenz and Caitlin. They help keep the lights on. We're actually recording in the dark right now because lights are bright and it's dark outside, so why not be dark inside? But... Normally, during the daytime, they help keep the lights on. They pay for the beer we drink during happy hour. And happy hour is a segment we do on top of all of our podcasts where we take 20, 30 minutes, sit down, have a beer or a cup of coffee, talk about some random bullshittery. Maybe it's podcast related. Maybe it's personal stuff. Sometimes we don't do politics, but like sometimes we do weird stuff. Jacob just shit himself because he thought I was about to bring up politics. It's so funny to watch him squirm. No, I'm waiting for you to finish your sentence because I was going to say it's wintertime in New England and so it's dark outside at 2 p.m. Yes. So that is why we were sitting in the dark. Because why not? In addition to exclusive access to Dime Comic Bros Happy Hour and Dime Gaming Bros Happy Hour, so like five-ish segments a month in total, you also get early access to this podcast as well as our primary podcast, Dime Comic Bros, which releases... Normally, every Friday, so you get it early, around about Wednesday area. You also get access to some weird clips and segments that sometimes we just clip out of our shows because they're, like, real weird and stuff. Sometimes sometimes I'll just drop a review of a movie in the middle of a podcast for no reason that no one asked for for about five minutes. So we'll just clip that out and throw that on there. You also get your name dropped out, dropped, (laughs) get your name dropped with every episode. A big old thank you. And stickers, plenty of other crazy stuff. Commissions by our buddy Colin. He does cool art stuff. So go ahead, visit our Patreon. Thank you. Uh, Thank you to our partners at Jetpack Comics and Games in downtown Rochester, New Hampshire. Uh, They support all of our artsy-fartsy stuff. They are our comic supplier. I buy some video games there sometimes. They also have some some cool other games. If you're a boomer and you play, I don't know, D&D or Pokemon or whatever, they have all sorts of wacky stuff. Go show them our love. Uh, and stuff and things. Uh, check People out... from work have been playing Magic: The Gathering with me. They'll like lend me their card deck, and wow. we've been playing a little bit of Magic. And uh, a bunch of them go to Jetpack for their Magic cards, especially during like Black Friday and Christmas deals. So nice! Wow! Nice, nice, nice. Uh, go check out our social media on Twitter and Instagram. Twitter might be going down the drain, but we're not leaving yet. We have plenty of updates, and we're also going to start using the YouTube community tab a bit more consistently for our show, so go ahead and check that out as well for updates and all sorts of fun fun stuff and things. Uh, Goodbye.
<laughs> I never have an outro. <laughs> Fuck! It's a sharp like my cock. What are you giggling about, Giggle Boy? <laughs> God damn it. Stinky <laughs> Boy. God damn it. Someone has to turn into Colin when he's not here. It was you today. <laughs> You said stinky little bitch and you set off my Google Assistant. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> <laughs>